Welcome to Comfortable Place on the Couch, a short-run podcast exploring every Midnight Oil album in the year of their Great Circle Tour. My name is Darren Folds, and in the upcoming months, I'll be spinning every Midnight Oil studio album from my comfortable couch, as well as taking a listen to some of their EPs, live recordings, and video releases. Joining me each episode is my longtime friend and fellow Midnight Oil enthusiast, Robin Harbin. Robin Harbin, listen to those birds singing outside today. We got the window open. It's not not just the window across the room. It's the window right beside me. Mm-hmm. And there are birds a chirping. It's been sunny. It's pretty pretty hot yesterday. Was it yesterday? It got up to like twenty six Celsius. Oh, which for us really? for us Canadians, that's a hot temperature. I do remember hot. sweating. Yes. Yes. It was hot. It was hot. Robin, we've just been listening to, man, I don't even know what number it is. Six, seven? Something like that. The seventh? Some studio album. Robin, we've just been listening to Midnight Oil's 1987 album, Diesel and Dust. Tell me, what do you think you've got to talk about this evening? There's a lot of stuff to, to say. There's kind of the origin of the album or yeah. what, what the band went through. Yeah. They went on a tour of Outback Australia mm-hmm. right before that. So that was very influential on them as a, as a band and then also on this album. It's is a it? bird. Oh, that is a bird. That sounds like a creaking, a creaking comfortable coach. <laughs> um, and maybe some old-timey memories. This is how we were introduced to, uh, to Midnight Oil. Yeah. Some have called the, this the beginning of the Campfire Trilogy, so maybe we'll explore sure. that idea. Yeah, yeah. Strummy. Strummy, strum, strum. Yeah. And the normal bass and drums and all that stuff? Sure. We will talk about bass and drums. <laughs> it seems like you've been saying that the last few albums, so <laughs> I, I wondered if maybe you wanted to make it a, a thing. Is there any business arising from previous episodes? Yeah, I think you were really getting called out on that last episode. I was. Uh, you, you missed a couple or uh, what misrepresented some facts. Is that the right way of saying it? What? Oh, I think I just edited out something because I thought I was getting really long-winded and it apparently was something that folks really wanted to to let me know yeah, about. Yeah, well, and it kind of changed. I think it was... Because you edited that out, it changed their interpretation. Sure. Of, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So in, when we were talking about Blossom and Blood from, um, I was going to call it Hercules. No, the album's called Progress. Yes. No, the no. album is called <laughs> Species Disease. I thought you would get it right on the second try. No. But we had to count to three. That's when you start counting. Yeah. I was already counting at one. Okay. When we were talking about Blossom and Blood... Uh, from Species to Ceces, I edited out the part where we were talking about um, the sidewalk silhouettes. Mm. Um, I was thinking, yeah, I'm going on quite a while with this song, and I don't want to be even more of a downer than I was feeling like I was being. Yeah. Um, so I edited out a uh, part where we were talking about. So a lot of folks um, wrote in to let us know, hey, do you know that these sidewalk silhouettes that they're talking about are silhouettes of dead people that were left when the um, bomb was dropped, the nuclear radiation flashes across, their bodies block it, and behind them, just like a shadow would fall on a building or on the sidewalk, is a shadow of of this person. And so 
Um, yes, Blossom and Blood, um, the whole album, they mentioned, you know, this is about the 40th anniversary of Hiroshima. Um, so Blossom and Blood definitely references that. Um, also talking about um, the city of Hiroshima, um, somebody mentioned, oh, this is like the city of all the, the cherry blossoms and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So there's a connection there. Yeah, by leaving that out, I think it made it sound like you thought the song was just about Turkey. Exactly, and yeah. the Anzac. Yeah. 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 But there was more to it than that. So thank you very much, folks, for letting us know that you wanted the full story told. Yeah. Yes. Um, other things. Oh, there's a... a super- oh. Go ahead. There was the super good, the kind of scat singing, the nonsense singing during progress. Oh, yeah, that was super cool. Yeah, is at, that actually Peter Garrett started singing, uh, you may be safe in your hemisphere, but he came in too early. And so he goes, you, m-, and then he goes, ba ba, do do do, ba ba ba, instead, right? Exactly, and you say, yeah. you say it sound like Ewok talk. Exactly. But. Uh, if you listen carefully, yeah, he really is starting to say, oh, totally. you may be, or yep. you may, yeah, but then cuts himself off, and they just left it in. Yeah. So that was very insightful, and I'm now that once I hear it, I'm amazed. Oh, yeah. How did I not hear that before? How did I not hear that? Twitter, why did you change? Yeah, they, thanks a lot, Twitter. That's not helping me. Uh, Mr. Noisy, Nathan Aerosmith. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Nathan, for telling us about that. That was actually a really good listen. Good catch. I enjoyed that one a lot. Yeah, that made me laugh. Okay, what else do I have? Um, Going back a number of episodes to the Oils on the Water concert. Yeah. um, Mark Courtney got in touch with us and let us know how the concert actually came about and why there were so few people there. Right. And apparently the radio station put on this, wasn't really a contest. People didn't understand it was a contest at the time. They just put out this almost like a survey. Let us know what your favorite Australian band is. And everyone who replied, Midnight Oil, they got entered into the contest, into the draw to to show up at the mystery mystery concert. And so... So it was special invite, special, special invite. Like it was like a lottery of a unannounced contest contest and then you got to the place and who's the band gonna be and you didn't even know at that point yeah and the thing was you couldn't just phone into this contest or submit online you had to spend money to enter the contest by buying the stamp yes and so people didn't do that people were used to that in the 80s though i guess so yeah well mark was mark was telling us about people who didn't spend the money on the stamp. I'm not going <laughs> to spend a stamp to answer this survey. I'm not going to tell them. So, yeah, so that's a... That's just a waste of money. And an interesting tidbit about how the the Goat Island concert kind of happened, why the numbers were so small. Darren Folds wants to let us know that Koala Sprint has a non-acapella intro. Can I play it for you? A non-acapella intro? Yeah, you know, how we were talking about acapella stuff. Well, every song has a non-acapella. What? It is, eh? Yes. Okay, let's hear it. Concrete cabins catch the sky and hold the stars to ransom. A thousand dreams is getting late. Who wasted my time? What? Do you hear that other thing there yeah, besides yeah, yeah, the yeah, voice? Yeah. I do hear that other thing there. Okay. But when we were talking about <laughs> acapella intros, I was actually thinking of Koala Sprint, the best song with wind chimes ever. Yeah, it does have a lot of wind chimes. And I remember now, it didn't come into my brain. 
that it was that song I was thinking of. I was thinking, which was also wrong, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not that we're going to go down. Let's not talk about what acapella is. Oh. Let's let's just say let's just... <laughs> when I was trying to argue the point with you. Yeah, I meant to use this song, <laughs> which is equally non acapella, but it's got. <laughs> But it's got one of those Pete singing on his own kind of intros with a little bit of something in the background. It's just a little bit of something. <laughs> music. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, great. Good for you, Darren mm-hmm. Foles. Yeah, that's that's really good, Darren. I'm impressed how you were wrong twice and <laughs> brought it back in another episode. So, the Blackfellow Whitefellow Tour, Darren, do you know anything about that? I do. I read Strict Rules a few weeks ago. Okay. So. You know all about it. Well, I read Strict Rules a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I don't know what I've retained from it. Okay. But yeah. So that this was uh, 1986, is mm-hmm. that correct? Yep. In what would be Australia's winter. Mm-hmm. In like... Uh, June, July, August, somewhere around there. I think in July or August. Okay. Boat. Yeah, and so the the main takeaway, I remember Rob Hurst telling the story about how they show up with all their gear, like their giant PA, yeah. and put on this huge rock concert, which is their thing, yeah. you know, making these big loud noises. But the townsfolk, the, you know, the, just didn't, if they came, they stayed way away from yep. the stage. Yep. Because they're just too loud, or, yeah. or I guess it was volume. I don't know if they were they were loud, they intimidating, were fast, or they were weird. These bright lights, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. So it was a real turnoff, and that just wasn't interesting. It's it's not what they were comfortable with, no. Yeah, and so they would stay back beyond the the, the lights and the shadows a bit. And the OLs learned very quickly, I think, that yeah. you know we got to quiet things down a bit, we got to slow things down a bit. They Let's roll back even more before okay, we get into this sure. kind of stuff. So the oils were asked to write the dead heart for this um, ceremonial giving back of Ayers Rock, Uluru, you called it. Yeah, Uluru is yep. the traditional name. Yep, to the Aboriginal people. Um, so they wrote the song, um, and then they were invited, um, like they were invited out to uh, record a film clip for it, and they met people and... Um, people got this idea, you know, maybe we can go out to these communities and do a tour. And so they teamed up with the Warumpi Band, mm-hmm. and they did this 25-day tour of the Western Desert and then Northern Australia. Yeah, they Northern the Territory. End. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And so, yeah, they spent 25 days on the road in the desert and then um, on some planes hopping up into the northern communities and playing these shows with Warumpi Band, sleeping out under the sky, uh, booting around in their in their four wheel drive Toyotas all yeah. over the place, yeah, <laughs> and um, yeah, just having a real rural experience. Mm-hmm. Um, the name of the tour being Black Fella White Fella. The idea is, you know, a bit of a cultural exchange. Yeah, um, was the intent behind it. Um, I think the band really wanted to. They want to go out there and, and listen, really, more than like they're going to play their songs and stuff. Because, you know, they're a rock and roll band. That's what they can do. Yeah. But they wanted to spend time listening to folks, um, getting to learn about 
what they're about out there. Yeah. So the way that they quieted down, one thing I think they started doing was playing their acoustic guitars mm-hmm. a lot more. Yep. Um, and then if they started, apparently they started writing some songs while they were out there as well yeah, with did. these acoustic guitars in hand. Um, and so there's kind of this, uh, this cut this, I don't know if I'd call it country, but this, uh, campfire influence. Well, totally. And, and they did actually, when they, when they realized that all this big rock and roll wasn't working, they actually introduced some country songs into the song, into their set list that they were playing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it really makes sense. And, uh, and. I would hope that they learned quite a bit from the Warumpi band. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I saying that right, War- Warumpi? Oh, you're asking the wrong yeah. Canadian. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was suggested, uh, but we didn't get set up that we watched Blackfella, Whitefella. Yeah, it almost I watched wait- it a few weeks ago. You did, okay. Yeah, when yeah. I was reading the book. Yeah, um, so that's right. I would hope that they also learned some things from the Warumpi band mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, They got to do a few really neat extracurricular activities while they were on the tour. Um, they were very near Pine Gap at uh, one spot on their tour. And um, Pete was actually, he was actually invited to go on the property, which protesters just don't get to do, to hand over a letter uh, to, the, to the site there. Um, and and that, was, that was it. That's all he could do. He wandered on, gave him the letter, wandered off. But that was actually kind of a big deal. And they made it into like a nice big photo op and made the news and stuff like that. And he ceremoniously uh, cut this ribbon that, that said, you know, Pine Gap listening station is now closed type idea. Do you want to explain Pine Gap? Uh, Pine Gap part? is um, a listening station in the middle of the desert that is owned by the U.S. military. Mm-hmm. Um and it's very important in listening for uh, Russian um, missiles and uh, test detonations. Um, it's just a strategic site that the, that the U.S. needed in that hemisphere and presumably was a targeted site for the Russians at the time. So the idea that the Americans are there, they have this sovereign base on the Australian, uh, in, in, in Australia, that potentially has nukes from Russia aimed right it's at a, it. It's a target. Exactly. Say, yeah. it, uh, you know, some people didn't like that. Yeah. <laughs> Understandably. Imagine, yeah. On the other um, side of things, another really neat thing they got to do was they were invited by um, Aboriginal elders to participate in um, very secretive, um, sacred religious type thing. Um, in some of the cultures, there's quite a strong divide between the men and the women, um, and the women don't participate in this type of thing, and certainly outsiders do not normally participate in this type of thing, and it's a real big secret about what it's about, and we don't really know exactly everything that went on. Well, we don't know what went on, yeah. but they were invited to, you know, kind of go off with the guys for this one uh, part and, uh, you know, just kind of observe uh, what, the, what the men do. Um, part of their religious ceremonies and stuff like that. Yeah, and uh, and does this connect with bull roar? We can talk about that then. But yeah. but apparently the bull roar itself yeah. is is only to be used uh, af- by the initiated from That's this right. sort yeah. of yeah. from this sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They spend a lot of time when they weren't playing shows. I think that you mentioned that, you know just kind of hanging around the campfire, um, either playing with a rumpy band or just lying you know, a few hundred meters away, 
um, by their trucks, by their campfires, because they didn't always camp together, um, just listening to these other guys playing. So the whole combination of listening to other musicians, to spending time in new environments, learning from the Aboriginal people really fed into their into what became the album. With some songwriting a little before. Yep, a little bit during. During and then... Afterwards. Yeah, and then very changed. I, I remember in an interview with Jim, how he said he felt very changed by oh, yeah. the experience. Yep. And uh, it really affected his songwriting. While they were on tour, uh, The Dead Heart, which was released, I think, just prior to them going on tour, was really rising up the charts. Um, oh, so it was a single, like a radio single? It was a radio single oh. uh, apart from Diesel and Dust. Okay. Yeah. And, and uh, at, as we hear it on Diesel and Dust as well? It's like I think exactly so. exactly the same I think so. version? Okay. Yeah. I don't know. If somebody knows different, they can yeah. let us know. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah, have you ever seen like people in their record collections, they've got that, that 12-inch LP with uh, Uluru on it, kind of on the cover of it? Oh, okay. That is the Dead yeah. Heart single. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Yeah. that was running up the charts. All royalties um, from the sale of that single were channeled back into some of the communities and projects in the communities that they visited on the Blackfellow Whitefellow tour. The oils financed the entire trip themselves. Um, so they paid to go do this tour to play to these people. The Warumpies um, got, um, actually, the oils secured government funding so that the Warumpies could go along with them as well. So this, um, as much as um, some of the news outlets tried to portray uh, the tour as like a, hey, these are the oils, you know, going out there, getting some photo ops, you know, this is doing a lot for their image and for them, kind of on the backs of the Aboriginal people that they're playing to, um, you know, they, foot, they footed the bill for the whole thing. Yeah. They put a lot of money back into the communities afterwards. They spent a lot of time just listening to folks. Trying to understand. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you'd hope. It sounds like you'd have to be pretty cynical to feel it was just... A money grab. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the Blackfellow Whitefellow Tour. Right on. 1987, the beginning of the year, so a few months later, they go into the studio um, with Warren Livesey. Hey, I think I pronounced it right. Livesey. Livesey. That's, that came I out, believe so. That came out very naturally. Good. Yes. And they record Diesel and Dust. It ends up being the fastest selling record in the history of CBS Records Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes a while, but ends up being the oil's biggest record worldwide. Yeah. Number one in Canada. Number one record of the year in Canada, you, you informed I, me a few yeah, years ago. Yeah, I'm almost certain. I, I went looking for, <laughs> for details on that and... What was it like? Some online list I found in 1987 was like, or 88, sorry, yep. was was like blank or missing oh, or yeah. something. But I I have strong recollections of hearing at, like at the end of 88 that that was the number one album of the year, at least on some mm-hmm. some record. Yeah, so it it was no matter what, it was huge. Oh in yeah, Canada. massively huge in Canada, massively huge all Around, over the place. Yeah, yeah. I was borrowing Robin's copy of Mark Dodson's book this week, so I read through that this week. I've got some quotes from Mark's book and I've just got stuff in my head as well. So yeah. cite your sources, Darren. I've been reading Mark Dodson. I've been reading Strict Rules. What else did I read? Oh, I, I read Willie's Bar and Grill a few weeks ago. You've been reading a lot. I don't know these things. We read these things. Yeah. We learn these things from other people. That's right. So... But I remember 
Mark writing um, about the fellow who was organizing the, the tour in France, saying how big they were in France at this time, and they could have stayed there for months and months and months and months touring. He says, yeah, these guys were bigger than you two at the time. In France, at least. In France, yeah. at least, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Warren uh, was saying that as far as the production of the album goes, he was raising up the vocals and the guitars is about 10 to 15% from what previous albums were, and dropping down the drums and the bass uh, accordingly, 10 to 15% yeah, as I, well. Yeah, I noticed the bass wasn't as prominent, uh, certainly in the original release. Okay. Uh, the remaster, boosts, to me, boosts the bass a mm-hmm. little, but yeah. Yeah. It's not like you can't hear them. It's yeah. not like they're they're recorded poorly. They're just not as front and center in the mix. I noticed yeah. that with the drums as well. Like, they're definitely there. Oh, yeah. Just not as much. Those guitars, those chimey, strummy guitars. Yeah. Like you are saying, all over the place. Yeah, and uh, yeah, just having the higher vocals kind of a, a pop thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, and this, it, really, this was a, a pop record. Such a huge hit on the pop charts. And, uh, and there's definitely a lot less of the the hard rock that or yeah not, not even hard rock but just rock that <laughs> edge yeah. yeah yeah i i found you know it the whole thing and when i was listening to it, I, the word rounder was in my head you know though the sharp edges aren't there everything is smoothed over everything is is easy it's not easy listening easy but listening. everything <laughs> is easier to listen to like there's there's the harshness where there is harshness is definitely intentional but the rest of it smooth yeah i was sort of not looking forward to going through this album at one point not not horribly but just i think a lot of us who've been listening to midnight oil for a long time are relatively tired of this album uh compared to you know there's a lot of the early albums and then even some of the arguably more experimental albums later sure uh you know we'd rather be listening to that stuff well, but, you know, we got this one first, so we've had it the longest. We've had it the longest, yeah. that's right. Um, so one interesting thing is how this album, I think, is the first Midnight Oil album to have two different versions of it, two configurations. Yeah. It's, it's just one song different. Yep. On the original vinyl release, even in Australia, the last song, Gun Barrel Highway, was left off. Mm-hmm. And over in here... As it should have been. <laughs> Ooh, controversial. Mm-hmm. And over here, uh, Canada and apparently the U.S., uh, Gun Barrel Highway was left off all versions yep. of it. In Australia, it was left off the vinyl. So uh, some people were saying that because Gun Barrel has the poop word in it. Yeah. Uh, that's why it didn't make <laughs> the it. The poop word. The poop word. <laughs> We're, we're trying to make this a family. Like that, you know, we what? want our kids to listen to this. And on iTunes, yeah, I've got the little box checked that's that says there's no extreme language. Oh, extreme language like poo. That's right. Uh, yeah, no <laughs> duty yeah, duties. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But you know, the fact of it is that on the vinyl release in Australia, the song was even left off. That's right. Yeah, and uh, while it was apparently on the CD. Not sure about the cassette, but anyway, hmm. basically it's it is canonical in both in everywhere in the world. At least some people got a version that had sometimes as the last song. Gun Barrel other, was written. Yeah, Gun Barrel was recorded. It belongs in this era. 
And sometimes you'll find it on... At the end of the album. So that's why we're treating Gun Barrel Highway... Yeah, we are. So in this so, podcast, that's right. Oh yeah. So so, so in ni- in 1988, the album ended with "Sometimes for Darren and I." That's what we listened to, and that's the way we like it. And that's not necessarily the way I like it, but now we're going to definitely include it. Yes. Yeah. Um, here's a couple of quotes from. Yeah. The making of the album. Rob says that he remembers at the time thinking that he likes rhythms that, that never change, that sound like a Toyota four-wheel drive banging across the gun barrel highway. Quite the opposite of what they had done uh, with previous albums where there'd be a big uh, rhythm change every chorus and, and changing mm-hmm. up with the guitars and stuff like this. He was looking to keep something. He was just, let's keep the time straight, keep the rhythm similar throughout the whole song on this yeah. one. Yeah, so you don't want to call that a drone, but, nope. but definitely you want to keep it just trucking along. Yeah, and yeah. and that's what it that's what they do. It they the drums often drive the song along. Yeah, yeah, and and this album when I wasn't analyzing it, I thought, oh boy, these songs are all so simple. They're all just like three chord songs or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you know, I started listening to it in more depth again, um, and started realizing, that, yeah, there there still are. Quite a few changes and tricks. Oh, yeah. Lots of the oils, signatures are here, but they've been... They definitely are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I found the same thing. There's like, oh, man, there's a lot of processed... There's a lot of processed drums going on on this Mm -hmm. album. Yeah. There's a lot of, if not samples, just weird noises coming up used for effect on this album. Yeah. Like, the trajectory that they started with, if not place, but with 1098 and Red Sails... Red Sails... Yeah, you you can totally hear that continuing along in, in Diesel yeah. and Dust if you want to listen for that That's kind of right. stuff. That's right. It is there. Yeah, it definitely is there. Uh, interestingly, I, for such a famous 80s album, like this this is an, mm-hmm. an album that everybody, quote, you know, famous 80s albums, yeah. Diesel and yeah. Dust is, it, uh, is one of them. Uh, this doesn't sound so 80s to me. The production isn't all that dated uh no. there's a, a few times where some keyboards come in that are of questionable mm-hmm. uh taste now but overall with the with the emphasis on acoustic guitars uh some strings that are pretty timeless regular rock instruments yep uh overall it holds up pretty well i think that, so too to me a lot better than red sails uh as far right. as as far as dating it goes dating it goes yep. yeah Pete says, Diesel and Dust is partly about our whole take on Aboriginal culture and the desert, but it's also our take on political activism and what's going on, plus other wacky things about world domination and American presidents and things. Some of these songs were written well before the trip. And going into this album, I was thinking, oh yeah, this is this is the Black Fella, White Fella tour diary album. And everything, well, influenced, I think by the tour is definitely not about it. I found there's a pretty pretty even split in the in the songs between, you know, ones that are that I can really solidly identify as this is like either the Aboriginal experience or having to do with something that they experienced while doing the Black Fellow White Fellow tour versus stuff that might be completely that may have nothing to do with that. Yeah, it may be half and half yeah. between the two. Yeah. And it is interesting to know that The Dead Heart was written before all this. Yeah. Because it shows they already... They had an awareness of what was going yeah, on. Yeah, they, they were already thinking to... about doing this going acoustic kind of thing. Yeah, well, yeah. Like, yeah. You couldn't tell that it, like Dead Heart belongs on this album. It sounds like it's right there. 
Pete's vocals on the album, they seem to me to be a whole lot more breathy and affected. Yeah. Yeah, he seems uh, to be deliberately... It's it's almost like he had to pick up uh, to keep some edge because these songs it's not like they have no edge to them. Mm-hmm. Um, when we get into the individual songs, we'll we'll talk about that. But overall, it seems that he is putting more of an edge in his voice for some of these. Mm-hmm. And there's times where you just wouldn't. Re- Those are some birds. Birds. You wouldn't expect a a pop song. With these acoustic guitars and these mm-hmm. relatively, um, yeah, natural sounds, natural sounds, but you still have this guy making some pretty big noises, some mm-hmm. some kind of screams oh, yeah. and grunts and uh, whatever else. So it affected? Do you do you mean processed or no, do you mean I'm, he's deliberately I mean like putting he's on? Deliberately doing this. Hey, I'm singing like a <laughs> like I'm singing like this, man. <laughs> You know, he's just no. Got, I don't know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I listen to it, it's like yeah, he's he's got much more of a breathy. Like when I said affected, I'm you know like when somebody's kind of got a little bit something going on. Like well, like you putting on your radio voice. Yeah, that's totally, so so exactly. smooth. Darren's voice is so smooth and buttery and, smooth. Welcome and buttery. to a comfortable place on the couch. Such, Midnight oil such a soothing podcast. voice. And I, I make the mistake of using my real voice. I think I use my real voice for the podcast. A, b- a bit more, yeah. Um, speaking about elements that we've been getting used to over yes. the years with the oils, the horn section is still here. Yeah, we got those horns. And in fact, we would. you might even say that uh, the trombone player, Glad Reed, who was doing trombones on this album, I believe there's other um, brass players as well, but Glad, um, she toured with them. Uh, on the Blackfella Whitefella tour. Yeah. And she, uh, I believe she came over and did um, at least the American or the North American leg of uh, one of the Diesel and Dust tours. So she was she was hanging around with the band for, for quite a while um, okay. during this, this time. Yeah, so she appears in the video for, yes. is it for Beds or Bernie or The Dead Heart or both or yeah, One something. or the other or I both. Mean, tall and blonde hair. Not at all. Okay. Nope. <laughs> shaved redhead <laughs> she's the girl playing the trombone yeah yeah that's that the one. one yeah i think my sister theorized that was peter garrett's wife i don't think so In no fact... i i think she did theorize that. <laughs> oh yeah yeah oh well, she was wrong yeah yes yeah so yeah glad was associated with the oils for a number of years and i think she's even come back to play with them once in a while good even afterwards yeah do you remember much music video dance parties in high school? Yeah. So, yeah, I guess I forgot that that was a thing. A thing. Like I remember that. I remember the party or the. I remember high school dance. Yeah. And yeah, that that's okay. Now and it was a special thing. Like this was like in in Canada. We have we had our we had our own music station. We didn't have MTV. I think that you could get MTV, but it wasn't. Yeah, just shortly after MTV got started in the States, within like a year maybe, yep. uh, Canada had much music. Yep, they had these video dance parties. I don't know, they were probably, there's probably video dance parties all over the world at the time. 
but it was a big deal when your high school had a video dance party and they would bring in this big screen and not only would you be dancing to the music, but they'd be projecting the videos up on the big uh, screen. And I remember thinking, going to one of them and they were playing Beds Are Burning Up There and I was like, oh, this is so cool that my favorite band from Australia, the videos are playing up on the big screen for the video dance party. That is cool. That's one of my memories of this thing. Yeah. There's three Jim Pete collaborations on this album. Arctic World, Woe, and Sell My Soul are credited to Magini and Garrett. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, and I think that when we get to the to the songs, we'll probably say, oh yeah, I can kind of, like taking a look at the lyrics and stuff like that, I can get that this is, is yeah. a Jim Pete song. Yeah, that yeah. there's a bit more of a... Uh... Well, it's that God bothering that uh, yeah. gift that Giffo didn't like yeah. is showing up here. Yeah. yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, and, and just kind of how they approach the songs and not necessarily even the content, but maybe even how they write it and stuff mm. like that together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think they've caught a, a little bit of a of a feel to the to the way they work together. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and this is Giffo's final time with the band. Yeah, so he he did the Black Fella White Fella tour, but he, he was already, not doing well. Yeah, he had already told them that he was thinking about leaving. Yeah. And then he went on the tour. Yeah, and he he wasn't he wasn't really all in it for yeah. the tour. Like yeah. he was out there and he was doing his best, but he was having a lot of the same problems I think with anxiety and stuff that that Bear was having and he was getting really sick because of that. Yeah. And and he, yeah, he decided to get out. I guess just the interesting thing is that he told the guys, I'm really not doing good. I'm thinking about leaving. And they're, well, yeah. well, stay for the tour. And he yeah. was like, oh, okay. And this is the black fellow, white black fellow. Yeah. And then he was thinking about, he told them that he was going, well, record the album with us. And he was yeah. like, oh, okay. okay. And then he really left. Yeah. And it was almost like nobody believed that he really would go. Yeah. Um, and they were kind of, they were almost surprised and he was like, I've been telling you guys for a year or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to go. Oh, I read a quote, uh, in Dodson's book, I was reading a story about this and somebody, somebody thinking, man, like, why would you leave at that time? Like they were, they were just about to really make it super big. Well, who's the real idiot? Like he got out before the nasty touring uh, schedules all around the world. Yeah. You know, if this was causing him to be ill, like this was the time to get out. He recorded the album. Yeah. He's still getting royalties. From royalties yeah. He's hanging out on the beach now with yeah. his swimwear. <laughs> he's the retired rock star yeah. and he's still got his health. He's still got his, yeah. his youth. Who's yeah. the real fool? <laughs> Poor bone. <laughs> Shall we give a quick listen to the album and then start uh, talking about the songs? Oh yeah. Yeah. 
Let's start going through the songs because there's a lot of songs to go through. There sure are. Beds are burning. Number one. Next, put down that weapon. What? Oh, I just. Oh, that's a ma- good joke. I was making a yeah. joke. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. You're so funny. Beds are burning. Yes. Okay, so this was the huge hit. Bob Dylan said, You could tour 10 years on the strength of this song alone. How about that? From Bob Dylan. Was Bob no. Well, let's not talk about Bob Dylan. Okay. So this was such a big hit, and the oils were kind of un, sort of unprepared. I think they knew that this... Yeah, know, they knew. Warren knew. He said, yeah, this is going to be your single. Yeah. This is going to do it for you. But they, I don't think they knew how big it was going to do it for them. Yeah. They thought, they knew that, yeah, this is going to be a good single from our album. They, they must have deliberately known they were making a dance song here. With the whole BPM and the the formula, they're just kind of yeah. Here, here's the 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 disco thing from, uh, you know, like Ten and Red Set. Yeah, Power yeah. and the Passion. Yeah. This, this is hilarious. We're making a disco yeah. song, right? Yeah. Okay. So is this a continuation of that? But I like the quote. I think it was Rob uh, Hurst who was saying, you know, this was such a big hit. This was even being played in the big like the dance, like what the discotheque. Oh the, yeah, sure. The whatever. It was like. We could hear our song. We'd be outside the place. We'd hear our song being played inside the club, but they wouldn't let us in. in. Nice. (laughs) How do you like that? Yeah. Did you ever understand exactly what the burning bed signified? Well, just the idea of sleeping. How can you sleep on a burning bed? And how can you live on stolen land? Yeah. Well, when you put it that way, I feel really dumb for not making that connection. Really? You didn't? You didn't? No, it's like, how can we sleep while our beds are burning? Well, obviously you can't, but what beds are burning? Are there burning beds somewhere? There's no burning beds. You know, they're pragmatic. I think all the, the oils guys are all actual landowners in Australia. Like, they have a house. And at, they have, at the very it, least, yes. Yeah, at least one. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I, I don't think they're necessarily saying, hey, let's give all of Australia back. But Are a recognition they... that Europeans don't just get to come to this massive continental island and say, oh, this is ours now. There are other people here yeah. that call this place home. Yes. Yeah, that, that's right. Acknowledging it and giving them at least some back. Yeah. Uh, especially if they say, look, this is a really sacred land for us yeah we were talking about airs rock yep. uh, uluru i think that was like a really like an obvious symbolic type place to to mm-hmm. say yes this is yours from reading strict rules and stuff though a lot of the real sacred spots we're just not going to tell you about those places um if they happen to be within land that you've given back to us great and if not we're just not going to tell you about it it's a virtual tour of the Western desert as far as, you know, place names and stuff like that goes. Yeah. It's, it is interesting that this album, um, is their most Australian 
since uh place, place without, without a postcard, postcard i'd yeah. say yeah as far as like terminology and place yeah. names and yeah and lyric unaccessible no americans can know what that is yeah and lyrically i think it it really does follow from place mm-hmm. uh, without a, a postcard uh very well uh musically obviously very different okay so we talk about the music sure let's talk about it there's the the infamous horn. This, this song's really built from a, a bunch of pieces. Yeah, there's the horn intro riff mm-hmm. thing. Yep. And then it goes right into the verse with the drum and bass groove. Out where the river broke. Oh yeah. Uh, even though the the bass lines are well, on the whole album are fairly simple. There's some good bit bits mm-hmm. uh the bass does still continue to play a very important role mm-hmm. they've got a huge bass this crunchy this great sound it's thick and it's got snap and it's uh it just keeps banging out that bass line you find that it's a crunchy bass on this album i'm not sure crunchy is the right word it has enough high-end definition okay uh that th- this is a, a theme with bass the best sounding bass you can have great bass tone uh, through your nice monitor speakers, mm-hmm. your good headphones, mm-hmm. and the bass sounds great. But then you play it through the radio, right? Or nowadays through your cell phone speaker, and yep. it sounds horrible or even invisible. The bass is gone. Yeah. Okay. And so the way of making the bass prominent, even when your speakers can't handle it, mm-hmm. is to is to make sure that it's got some high end noise, okay. which might be the fret noise, or oh, it might okay. be a little bit of distortion deliberately yep. added to or the bass. Or maybe like a little bit of pick attack. Pick attack, that's right. Whatever it is. That'd be a good band name. Pick attack. <laughs> so you you add in that it's got that high end. So yes, it might be a pick, it might okay. be a bit of distortion, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um and so this has got that. Okay. Yeah. And it just kind of cuts through a bit more. Yeah, how, yeah. how would you describe it? Yeah, just like a very round, smooth, definitely not like turning it up to the point of distortion. I didn't really hear a lot of sharp attack on the bass. Yeah, on on this song, it depends, varies from song to song. Yeah. But this song does have a fair bit of attack on the bass uh, to really make it kind of, it really snaps through. Yeah, yeah. And it's these spare, very sparse versus... Um, like we've heard on previous Midnight Oil songs, mm-hmm. but it's interesting. On a hit song like this, it would just be drums and bass. Yep. And Garrett's very, you know, fairly raw vocals yep. on top of it. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of drums, yeah. I noticed like right off the bat, it's got not an over-processed drum sound, but you can tell that there's stuff. This is not just natural drums, you know, being recorded, trying to get a nice good room sound. Hit song kind of stuff. Yeah, hit song kind of stuff. And... Not necessarily campfire song stuff. Right. Beds Are Burning is much more of a dance song. Yeah. Much more of a pop I guess song. So, yeah, pop song. Yeah. yeah. As far as, as funny sounds go, there's that hiss sound that kind of comes in a, a few times during the song. Yes. And surely you can hear the crunchy bass there. It's yeah, really it's totally crunchy there. Yeah, yeah. This is Oil's doing neat, weird sounds. Yeah, it, it may be an actual real percussion instrument that uh, could be like a rain stick or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, maybe it could be a rain stick yeah. or something, sure. What do I know? I don't know. Uh, after that very short verse, it's right into this, the time has come, which 
I was calling a pre-chorus before, mm-hmm. but I'm now of the opinion that Bets or Bernie has two choruses. Oh, yeah. This is kind of weird. Yeah. Because when you think of the chorus, like, you know, obviously it's the, the big, how, how can do we sleep? sleep, the Bets are Burning. But that whole, the time has come to say fair's fair. Oh, yeah. It gets reused just as often as the chorus does in the sure. song. Maybe actually, in fact, one, maybe one time more. Oh, yeah. And... At one point, it doesn't even precede a chorus. It They throw in that the time has come, and it doesn't come, a chorus does not follow. Right. Therefore, it is not a pre-chorus. Ah. So it's almost like they have chorus one and two. Neat. Yeah. That's cool. It's interesting that there's always harmonies all throughout the chorus and well, chorus one and two, as yes. I'm now going to call them. Both choruses. Both choruses, which is uh, part of the whole sing-along catchy chorus way of doing things Mm -hmm. yeah making for the hits making the hits it's funny that there there are really just two very short verses in this song but they describe these places like yeah kintar east kintar east let me give you the itinerary for the black fellow white fellow fellow tour okay yeah they start in alice springs and they go to uh basically uluru hit docker river they go to warakurna kintor papuna pap papunya uh Uend umu. Uendumu. Yendumu. Yendendamu. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. But yeah, it's it's got this list of place names going on, which is basically the the art the itinerary for the Western Desert that they go that they take on the Black Fellow White Fellow tour. Yeah, and both times uh forty five well here we are already in the lyrics, but mentioning forty five degrees. Yeah. Which of course is Celsius. There's yeah. I'm being a nerd. I'm interested in this sort of thing. We'll talk about more, but it's interesting. This album has both measurements 45 degrees Celsius and 110 degrees Fahrenheit. The temperature in the shade. The temperature in the shade on another song. Oh, okay. So they're using both, uh, you know, some people have picked up on that. Why are they doing that? And, uh, well, of course we know why. And I'm going to tell people why in the song okay. where it's 110 degrees. Sounds good. Okay. I want to pick up on the drum solo towards the end of the song here. To me, that is a mini version of the Power and the Passion drum. Totally, eh? Yeah, it's like, how can we condense it to five seconds? Or three. Or three, or whatever it yeah, is. Totally. Yeah, totally. Um, but it's it's got like he's either using, I don't think he's using exclusively bells and cymbals there. I think that he's getting some samples uh, being played on his pads and stuff as well. Yeah, perhaps. Eh? I think so. Yeah. I don't know for sure. Uh, this song does add organ, but it's so sparse throughout. Mm-hmm. It has little bits of guitar, yep. but, but actually not all that much guitar, does it? Yeah, I guess so. Eh? Yeah, the bass and drum really, really take care of this song. Yeah. Yeah. And so there'll be little... Here's some organ, you yep. know, Jim will put a little organ in, put a little guitar in. Yeah. But so much of the song is really voc- bass drums, vocal, yep. and then all these little Atmospheric little bits. things yeah. happening, yeah. So for such a hit song, it's interesting that Pete does do things like his roars. Yeah, and even there you hear it's just bass and drums, yep. and then the synth is like keyboards doing a little, yep. little fill. Okay, I think that's about all there is. Hey, you want to ask me if that's about all there is? Oh, Maybe okay. I have lots more. Maybe you do. Okay. I don't. I just have one other little TikTok kind of sound. Do you think that's, uh, you know, it's kind of the ticking clock? It's the 
symbolic like let's make a decision on this let's let's get on with it your bed's burning i just thought it was a neat sound yeah i i think maybe it, it's a deliberate TikTok yeah. uh, clock kind of thing so here you go beds are burning number one single in canada number six in australia number one actually in a number of places i think in new zealand and stuff as well yeah interestingly not number one in australia no yeah only number 17 in the states this is their signature song though yeah. When I lived in Australia in 1987, mm-hmm. uh, I did visit Ayers Like Everybody at that time was still calling it Ayers Rock. Yeah. And uh, I did climb Ayers Rock. Yeah. Uh, my sister and I climbed it, and that was the tourist thing to do. Sure. It was amazing being up there. And then once you're up there, you just feel uh, like, you know, this is this is the world where I am. Yeah. Um, uh, so it was neat. And it was also... A little disconcerting. They have a sign before you begin the climb about how many people uh, died last year. It's not a. It's not a warning like stay on the trail. It's by the way. Yeah. Lots of people died doing yeah, this. Yeah, like last year, seventy-eight people died, oh, or wow. whatever it was. Yep. You know. Uh, I wonder if it was that high. It was. It was a significant number. Uh, and then some people would say, "Well, really, that's just a bunch of old people, like fat old guys, having heart attacks <laughs> up there." Okay. Um, so don't worry about it, you know. Oh, yeah. And a certain amount from flash flooding or oh, really? something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I get wrong place at the yeah. the wrong time. Yeah. Yeah. But but I want to add to this that since then the attitude towards the rock has really changed. Uh and one thing is uh the culture largely now calling it Uluru mm-hmm. being the, the traditional name for it. I remember having a sweatshirt after you came back from Australia and I don't know that you got it for me. Yeah. Maybe I got it. Because, like, Australia was everywhere in the late 80s, well, right? yeah, like Crocodile Dundee and Between Midnight Oil, Crocodile Dundee. Who's that idiot? Yeah, who's serious? But I had, like, this sweat, sweater. Oh, and who's the battery guy? Jacko. Oh, yeah. He was, like, an Australian football player who was really loud and obnoxious with, like, his... Crew cut? Crew cut and was like, oi! Yeah. That oi guy. Oh, yeah. When, when your only catchphrase is <laughs> oi, oi, you're just going to burn you're, that you're out. You're limited. Yeah, yeah, you're just going to run that out. Did I have? A, did I finish my, my point about... I don't know, but you successfully interrupted mine. <laughs> what was yours? I was talking about my sweater. Oh, yeah. You want to talk about your sweater. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Back to your sweater. Either... I don't uh. think you brought it from Australia for me. I think I was able to buy it in Thunder Bay. Maybe you had an Uluru sweater, and maybe I had a kangaroo sweater, and but it was done in, oh, and when I was reading Strict Rules, I would I would know what the art style is called. I, w- I want to call it woodland style, but of course, that's that's from around here. Never mind. Doesn't matter. Aw, we're not going to get the sweater story after <laughs> all that? No, I had a purple sweater with kangaroo on it. <laughs> that's a great story, <laughs> Thanks for letting us know. Well, I, I think what I was thinking about was... Australia was, was popular. Was I knew of Ayers Rock, and then I learned, oh, Uluru is what it's being called now. That's yeah. the traditional name for it. And, and I was thinking, oh, I had a sweater with Uluru on it. And I said, no, I had a kangaroo sweater. Maybe Robin had an Uluru sweater. <laughs> yeah, maybe I did. I can kind of imagine that. Purple? Mine, I think mine was purple. I don't think it was purple. I think I had a purple kangaroo sweater. <laughs> the sweater was purple. The kangaroo wasn't pictures in the show notes yeah okay did i finish the, my culturally sensitive thing yes. you had kept interrupting it with 
kangaroo sweater. Kangaroo sweater talk. <laughs> Very important purple kangaroo talk. You know, people enjoy you and I talking back and forth. Yeah. They're not coming to us because we're experts on anything. No. You might as well talk about the things that are important to you. <laughs> then you better not interrupt me later on okay. when we finally get there. Put down that weapon. So here's the we're talking about affected vocals. Oh yeah. So this, this is, is a good example. Whispery. He's yep. doing this whispery vocal. Now, what's interesting is there's actually the electric guitar kind of wells up, like at the end of verse one, mm-hmm. does this kind of well up, but then drops right back down to yep. verse two. Yeah. And then it does that build up again. And then that time it finally goes to the bridge. Yes. Um, so it's just interesting how they, they use these techniques, like building up and dropping down yep. and then expanding on an idea, yep. giving you kind of half of it first. And then, yeah. So I really like that bridge. And it's, uh, I believe it's a key change because I think the whole song is in, um, most of the songs in E minor, I think. Okay. Ooh. Put down that weapon or we'll all be gone. But then when it does that build up and then it just jumps to B minor for, okay. for that, uh, you keep talking. You keep talking and talking and talking. Talking, 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 then... Back okay. to Meyer, but it actually changes keys for that. Okay, that's really neat. I didn't know so, that. And that's about all I have to say about the music, actually. Yeah, um, I just wanted to, it's it's hard to miss the the militaristic style of the drum roll that's coming in, I think, um, at that point where it kind of wells up the second time and kind of continues into, I think it's yeah. continuing. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun, Yeah, now I you have to say, I was talking about the dated production on this album, or overall not dated. Yeah. Those keyboards, I find, really bring the song back down. Okay, sure. Just yeah, too... it anchors it in 87. Yeah, they yeah. just have two 80s. I get that. This doesn't matter about the song too much, but in the video... For put down that weapon. Yes. Rob is using what's called a jazz grip on his sticks. Ah, like the, and, the and cross-handed. I, exactly, like yeah. one hand kind of overhand and the other hand kind of underhand or or through the fingers underhand. And when I watched the video and I saw him doing this, I thought, "What? Rob uses a jazz grip? I don't think that's right." So then I started watching like all the videos of, of his of, of the other singles from this album and everything's like the standard matched grip overhand yeah. type stuff going on. So I wonder if he actually did play a jazz grip or if he switches back and forth. This is something I'm gonna be looking for now. Yeah. So so maybe when he does that military style yeah, drumming, maybe. he maybe. likes to do the jazz. Yep. Yeah, and in I'm not sure he'd fully explain that. It's like one hand underhand, one hand over. Yeah, normally yeah. normally well, when I play, like the traditional rock drum is you grab, you hold your sticks the same in both hands. And it's, it's with your palm over the stick. Basically, yeah. Yeah. That your your hands are kind of open towards the inside to your body and you just kind of hammer down on it. Uh, the jazz grip, you do that, you hold it the same way with your right hand, but with your left hand, you hold it almost underhand. The stick kind of goes through the the fingers, and you can get a lot more of a bounce 
um, out of your stick with it that way. So that would totally make sense. Like if he's doing those drum rolls, the, the stuff that sounds like the military drums yeah. rolling through there. Speaking of the video for this one is, isn't this the really odd video that kind of looks like, like I think there's even a story attached to this where they showed up for a meeting with their record label mm-hmm. about something and they were like, okay guys, and now go into the next room. We're shooting a video for oh, really? something like that. Like, if I've seen this video before, it was a long time ago and I did not remember it, but like they looked like they were dressed up, that somebody dressed them up for this and they're in this dark room where they're playing and, you know, Giffo's got like the typical 80s, his collar might even be popped up, but he's got like the jacket on and stuff and and everyone, yeah, it doesn't, it's a it's a different video for the oils. Yeah, just yeah, not playing. the typical thing. And everyone just kind of looks seriously at the camera, like there's close-ups of Jim. He's playing his keyboards, but he just got his face, and he's just kind of looking serious at you. Could this have been the last video that Giffo was involved with? Could have been. Yeah. This was the third single released from the album, and the B-side, mm-hmm. What's So Funny, about peace, love, and understanding. Ah, Neat, eh? Yeah. Yeah, so they bring that, we hear them doing that at the Exxon show in a few years. Uh, another little Elvis Costello connection, because Elvis Costello, um, I think he made this song popular, although he didn't write it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and of course, just the meaning of this song, as best we can tell, it's it's Put pretty, down that weapon. Pretty literal. Yeah. Yeah. It's an, put, put down that bomb. Stop yeah. that... Particularly, I think, Nuclear. Yeah. Uh, again. Yeah. It's a peace song, an anti-nuke song. We'll all be gone. Yeah. One thing lyrically that, that did intrigue me about this song is above the waterline in the first verse, under the waterline mm. in the second verse. The thing that popped into my mind one day as, as I was walking was icebergs. There's this little bit that's above the waterline and this massive thing that's below the waterline or under the waterline. So I was wondering if, you know, maybe they're trying to use icebergs as an analogy for, you know, we only see this little bit of a problem, but there's really this huge problem under the waterline that needs to be dealt with. Yeah. I don't know. I like the lyric and, and it made me think and ponder and that's what good lyrics do. Yeah. Yeah. My, my favorite lyric is the point the finger. Yeah. Point the bone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that to me is like, the skeleton, like almost like, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm thinking of like Ronald Reagan pointing his finger, and then this nuclear flash. I I had the total same image. He's turned yeah. into like a skeleton. Yeah, and there's just this, just the bones the bone. pointing left, pointing I'm at you. That, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm thinking of that Freddy Krueger. Uh, oh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare type on Elm stuff? Street, but that TV show he had, and we had that episode. Oh where yeah, there's the that pokes in this, the eyes. Yeah, this this. Uh, High school science skeleton, yeah. like biology skeleton, comes to life and, and pokes. Here's a story that's not going to make it to the podcast. Yeah, uh, I had a meeting in the anatomy lab <laughs> Friday morning. I work in a medical school. I don't. I'm not a doctor. I don't do medical stuff. I'm an IT kind of guy. Um, but I was meeting with some folks, and uh, I, I was wandering out, and I was chatting with them as I was going. I was walking by. They, we have a few of these medical skeletons, and they were just standing by the door. So I. I, I decided to, to shake the skeleton's hand goodbye. And of course, from the elbow down, it just falls off in my hand as I'm... Oh, oops. Don't worry, Darren. Just put that on the table. We'll take care of it. <laughs> oh, you should leave that in. 
Moving on to Dream World. I like this song. Yeah, I think on the standard uh, Canadian release of this album, mm-hmm. this is my favorite bass line. Okay, cool. Yeah, I like it. It's got all kinds of great slidey bass. If it was sliding around, then does these little turnarounds. The Breakfast Creek Hotel is up for sale. The last square mile of terra firma gabbled in the mail. So farewell. What's neat about that is that. Yeah, it's basically like there's just like one or two chords that are being played, but he's alternating back and forth between these two. Now I'm going to alternate back and forth between these two yeah. notes. Yeah, that's yeah. really neat. And then he does these little walk-ups yeah. uh, between each connect connect the parts. Yep. Uh, bass and drums, yeah, really, really hold it hold it together, I think, for this song. And, and there's kind of almost like, it's not a backbeat type thing going on, but when I dance to the song... I I, <laughs> when I, I I always feel like this this pulling back type thing happening. You get this real rock organ sound going on in this yeah, song. Yeah, it's got good organ. Uh, and what I really like is, yeah, how rocking it is. But then it has this nice little uh, bridge, uh, which goes from the main songs in E major. Yeah. But it goes to G sharp minor, I think. Okay. Uh and then just does this kind of laid back, uh, ominous kind of bridge. Yeah, that is super cool. Yeah, that's a, a nice little thing. Pete gets a good scream in. It sounds like a kookaburra. Oh yeah. To me. Oh neat. You think it, am I am I stretching things? That that's what it sounded like to me. Maybe I'm wrong. Before we stop talking about the music and get into a little bit about what the song's about or yeah. some of our favorite lines, something I did notice um, broadly in the whole album is Rob often is using what I call like a dirty, rattly kind of cymbal sound. And the outro of Dreamworld here, I think, is a good example of kind of that rattly. He's, he's playing, I think it's his ride he's playing at the end, or he might have like kind of a ride, uh, ride crash type thing that he's playing. Um, but it's really kind of got that dirty, rattly sound. Let me just play a little bit of it for you. And, and it might be something that's best listened to in headphones, not on a podcast that's going to really compress um, yeah. and deteriorate the sound quality. But yeah, if, if you're listening to Diesel and Dust after you listen to the podcast and you're, you're thinking, oh, I wonder if, if there's something neat that I can listen to drum-wise, listen for like the really rattly, rusty, dry-sounding cymbals throughout the album. Mm-hmm. And into Dreamworld, you'll hear them good here, I think. Cool. So this song is, is not a, an Outback song. It's not an Aboriginal issue song. Yeah, it's back to the... Back to the city. It's back to the complaint rock. <laughs> it is. This but, is this is yet another progress song. I guess it is. I think it's it's quite focused though, right? The song is is a protest song against the destruction of heritage buildings. So the song starts out with the Breakfast Creek Hotel is up for sale. The Breakfast Creek Hotel is actually it, it was a it is still I believe uh, a pub, a public house, a hotel that that serves tasty beer. Old building changed hands a lots of times. And then later on in the, in the song, uh, towards the end, talking about Cloudland. Cloudland was a, a ballroom, 
a place that uh, bands would come and play um, that was under the under the chop and block. Heritage buildings are old buildings that have historical significance that are protected by uh, governments, local municipalities and stuff like that. Right. Um, so they're just trying to protect the, the architectural heritage of Australia. With the reference to the Norfolk Island Pines mm-hmm. and... Um... Do you want to know where that line came from? Sure. This song was written at Giffo's house. And um, he's got this place in Sydney, which is, or at the time had this place in Sydney that was just like a, a patch of bush in the middle of the city up on a hill. And in, and it's basically like he built his own camp. Well, we would call them camp cabins, cottages cabins, yeah. type thing up there. Cause you know, that's kind of guy he was like to, to live with the, with the plants and the animals and stuff like yeah. that. And so they're sitting around Giffo's place in his backyard or something like that, working on this song and they can look right out there and see these Norfolk Island pines there. And I think that we're, what you're getting at is, you know, destruction of environment and stuff like that. In yeah. particular, um, these these pines that were part of the urban uh, environment uh, in Sydney were under threat of being taken down. There's a particular slant on architecture, and yep. then also, uh, again, the progress, the, yeah, the for sure. industrialization. Yeah, um, and we're going to talk next song. Is it next song? Arctic World. What's the song with the Androplus fear? Uh, that's not till later. That's um, Woe or something. Oh, yeah, it probably is. Yeah, it is Woe. Anthro. Yeah, Androplosphere. Anth- How do you pronounce it? And Androplosphere. Androplosphere. Anthro- Anthroposphere? Androv. Well, the guy's name is. Yeah, it's. it's, it's Androbov. It's, it's spelt incorrectly there. Uh, in the in the notes in the lyric notes, no, it's got a V. No, a- a- and drop of sphere. Okay, maybe and- we're Andropov. Thinking... It the guy. It's a Russian guy, Andropov. Yeah, and then they put sphere on the end. I thought this was one of the typos. In here, it is spelled okay. correctly in this See, booklet, and I thought that was an entirely different word. Um, the word that I thought that was was anthroposphere which is the world or like earth um the habitat as modified by humans and so i was saying oh i wonder if there's even a connection back and forth between these two songs well yeah but i think they deliberately like this is a made-up word oh it is eh? it's based on a guy's name but i think what they did was combine your word like yeah that word and okay, this Russian good. guy. I will, I will look I forward to hearing about, you talk about that. I guess we're going to talk about that in the future. Yes. Okay. We'll if never we get ever, there. If we ever get there. So Dream World, and the only, uh, I, I just like that ominous, uh, the sun comes up and we all learn those wheels must turn. Mm-hmm. That line's always struck me. I, I guess I remember listening to this these lyrics when I was 16 or whatever, yeah. you know, and um, did not understand how the world worked. I, I still mm. don't think I know how it works, but I, I think I know a lot more of the pieces. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that was one of the lines that just stood out to me as a young person. Yeah. Those wheels must turn. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like resignation in a way, mm. but it's like, there are these forces that, uh, seem to be bigger than us. Yeah. But too we too keep, big for us. Too big for us. Yeah. But 
you know, we keep trying yep. the little bit we can That's do. That's right. Yeah. Yep. In the video? Yes. Bones. Yeah, Bones is there by then. Bones is in the video for this one. That's right. Yep, so he's around for this point. So Giffo is gone by the time the video for this comes out. And two, the acoustic guitar that Martin plays in this video. This is the first time I, I remember seeing it. Actually, I think it was on the Blackfella Whitefella tour, but this is the era, I believe, that this guitar shows up, and it's still around. Pete had it on some of the promotional material for his album that came out last year. Oh. This is the black, I think it's a Fender acoustic. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, and it's so... got that white kind of square oh, around yeah. the around Yeah, the well, sound I totally hole. remember Pete using it for the photo shoot yeah. for his album yeah. just like last year. So I did not realize that was the Dream World. Yeah, so... That's Martin's Dream World guitar. And actually he plays it in the Beds video. Wow. And it's going to show up in a nice couple catch. of... Yeah. Has it's... anybody else noticed that? I don't know. Yeah, good for um, you. But yeah, this this is the first time I recall seeing it is around this era. And the guitar, this guitar hangs out with the oils for <laughs> decades now. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, presumably Martin brought, because Martin played on Pete's solo album, uh, presumably Martin, right. Martin just brought it to those gigs. Yeah. And then, yeah. yeah. And I don't know if it's a Fender. It might be a Martin. It might be something else. I don't know what yeah. it is. Yeah, typically he plays Fenders. Yeah. but it's, it's like a Dreadnought style. Hmm. Uh, there's no cutaway on it or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. I don't know what my favorite song on the album is. Yeah. But, and and I haven't made a decision. I don't think I'm going to choose Dream World, but yeah. Dream World made the top three for me. Yeah, it's a contender for me, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and it's good that we have this, here's a pretty good rock song. Yeah. Yeah, even, I you like know, this one. Yeah, there aren't distorted guitars, but still it's, it moves. It's got tempo. Yeah, and actually when, when this, apparently we're not done talking about Dream World. Apparently. When we get to track number three in the album it's like in the space after put down that weapon before dream world starts my brain anticipates the intro to the song and yeah it, it picks up in pace and it's got the fun rhythm going on to it and yeah. i look forward to dream world hitting yeah for sure arctic world is our, our first uh peter jim collab yeah and strangely on my iTunes, it's spelt Arctic World without that, like A R T I C. Pulling out the vinyl here, and I'm wondering how that happened. What do I don't got think here? I don't think I typed it wrong into iTunes. I didn't buy it on iTunes. I ripped it with my um, CD. But it, yeah. you know how there's those online databases yeah, that yeah, tell for you sure. this is this CD. I ripped my CD. It certainly is messy on the back of yeah, the album. Yeah, so. This is interesting. That doesn't look like an R. No. But I can see a C on a stick. So just a general comment, like when you look at the vinyl... And the and the C at the end of Arctic looks like an E. Yeah, it looks like an E. Yeah, Art, RT. It's RT World. <laughs> it's RT World. Yeah. So yeah, a general comment. If you have a copy of Diesel and Dust on vinyl, it's got this ridiculously... Like it's cool. Yeah. But it's this ridiculous... Messy, I guess handwritten, messy, or painted, and there's paint splotches. Yeah, all is over it like something? apocalyptic? Is it like it just looks really, really crazy? Uh, yeah, maybe it was painted. Yeah, and I don't know. and in fact, the whole the sleeve that the record is in with all the lyrics is done in that same style. Oh, yeah, so good it is luck. So hard to read. That so, is a mess, eh? Yeah, it's a total mess. Uh, it is arguably cool. Yeah. Uh, 
but what I found is that the lyrics, if you search for diesel and dust lyrics online, mm-hmm. they just seem to be riddled with weird typos, like worse, like the internet's always bad, but this is especially the bad. Internet's just, man, it's so bad. It's so bad. Um, but my point is, I think due to that design choice yeah. 30 years ago, yeah. uh, the lyrics are uh, just that little bit more mysterious, a little bit less accessible. So As far as, as lyrics and stuff go for Arctic World... We're going to do that first? Yeah, let's do that first. Okay. The line, I don't want to grow anything in my heart. Yeah, I don't want to grow anything. Yeah. Yeah. So presumably this would be... Like, not just negative things. I don't want to grow bitterness in my heart. I don't want right, to grow... Right, right. Or I don't want to allow love to grow in my heart. Yeah. I, like, I'm wondering, you know, is this some sort of, like, I want to be emotionally detached from everything Yeah. type thing? Like, I'm a cold, frozen iceberg. So what's strange about that line is that sounds like a really negative thing, that opening line. Mm-hmm. But then the later, I don't want to write all these things in the sand... Now, yeah. that could be a Bible reference, right? Jesus writing Oh, yeah. Doodling down in the sand. Yeah. yeah. And we don't know, but it's also temporal, right? Like, yeah, it's that's like what I was if saying. If you write something in the sand. It's going to blow away it's, and or, it's not going to last. Yeah, blow or wash away, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, on the yeah. beach. Sure. On the beach, that's right. Yeah. But then, I don't wish to listen and not understand. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a positive thing to say. And I don't want to tramp up the footpath of stars. That one's kind of a mystery to me. I guess making the point here that um, how dead, like the Arctic, yep. especially the absolute north, yep. uh, actually the Antarctic, uh, is actually a much more dead world than the Arctic. But yeah, that's, that's interesting. Right. But yeah. uh, because there's like, what lives down there? Penguins. Penguins yeah. and seals. But actually northern, like northern Canada, yeah. actually they have, it's a, it's a short summer, but all kinds of life springs up. Oh yeah, for and sure. And then dies off. Yeah. Where there's actual um, land and stuff there. Yeah. 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 So that that's right. And like people the, live there. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I guess the point is that in a frozen wasteland, stuff doesn't grow. Um, so what is it about? Okay. Well, the, the line, of course... Uh, I want to meet the president of a country without sense. Uh, you know, yeah. Probably the U.S. And we think it would be Reagan at that time. Uh, there's nothing that grows in his Arctic world. There's yep. nothing that grows in your Arctic world. Yep. There's nothing that grows in this Arctic That's world. That's right. Yeah. So I, I would say it's it's lamenting um, what the world is like right now or what it can be mm-hmm. or what certain people are making it into. Yep. Uh, so if this is the effect of, this is Reagan, this mm-hmm. is um, this kind of, this dead world. Yeah, is it um, like a, the result of a nuclear winter? Yeah, so that's right. So it could be a bit of a, a nuclear, the potential yep. from a, a nuclear war or his policies that, yep. you know, arguably are leaving, are forgetting about the poor and only... Yep encouraging the rich sure. and uh, you know that's also yeah may seem like a dead dead world i think that this is just one of the songs that is open enough to allow for interpretation and understanding yeah. and one of the things that i i have been reading is that pete especially is one of those kind of guys that does not mind the listener bringing their own interpretation to his lyrics and stuff like that and yeah. kind of enjoys that kind of thing so and then musically uh, there's this repeating bass line, 
mm-hmm. that uh, then gets picked up by other instruments like the strings as it goes on. Yep. But, it's just, but basically, it's just a major D major scale walking down. Drum wise, it's it's not a typical let's sit behind the drum kit and and pound out a beat. Um, yeah. He builds up the percussion line. He's got like these claves. He's got maybe some wood blocks or other sounds. It's it's just a very it's a layered built up sound. It's a very dry, sparse um, rhythm yeah, uh, percussion sound throughout the song. Yeah, we could call it. It's like atmospheric music. Yes, yeah, for sure. It's orchestral. Yeah, it's it's very natural. Like it's not like it's built up with samples and stuff like that. It's still got that 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 natural, authentic sound to it. Yeah, it's got a few um, midnight oil sound effect kind of sounds put into the into the song it's got like these these swirly kind of sounds it's got these kind of rattlesnakey sounds there's a red sails in the sunset harrisburg breath in the song oh did i miss the breath it's really quiet and there's just one of them and i might be reaching let me play it for you That's the breath. the breath. Are we going into work or not? No, not, not quite yet. Okay. So uh, do you have anything else to say about... To me, it, it sounds like a, a real Jim song, musically. It doesn't take a genius. <laughs> to recognize his genius. Mm. Mm. I was going to ask you, is there a key change at the end of this song? Or are there ever? Okay. Are there so ever? So I'm no dummy on the drums. Yeah. <laughs> Arctic World starts off simple and builds up, and then these strings come in, and it becomes extremely orchestral. It's almost like a movie soundtrack or something, uh, but it's on the key of D. Yep. And then it does all these key changes. Uh, key changes. It goes from D down to C sharp, down to C, down to okay. B. Is this all like a, like throughout the song, or no, just, just at the this end? ending? Just okay. this ending. It it gets yeah. This is starting at like three fifty three. Okay. And it goes C, B, A, then it goes from A major, that was A yep. major, goes to A minor. Ah, and maybe that was enough for me to pick up, there's, then, there's something happening there's something here. There's something happening, yeah. And then it's like G minor, F sharp minor, and that does a little thing. And then it goes back into D major, right where it started. Oh, yeah. But that starts War Kerna. Yeah. So I'm wondering if Jim was realizing he's he's making all these songs in the key of D yeah. and they're back to back yeah. and he just doesn't like having man I don't like having two songs in a row okay with the same key sure so I'm going to go through the this really like elaborate, elaborate trick of shifting keys so much that when it comes around to where Kerna's starting in yep. the same key you but I fooled you. I'd be on this total trip through all these other yeah. keys. Yeah. Well, that's um, really cool. So you'll notice that these two songs run into each other. Yeah. But they, they do in a really interesting way. And, and th- this is like, yes, this must be Jim, because who else in the band would compose, would yeah. go to such great lengths uh, to have written this this pretty complicated is this the, are these the only two songs that kind of bridge one to another? I'm not certain about that. It's the only one that I have written down. Definitely, maybe. Do you think that there is a connection between the lyrical content of Arctic World and Warakurna? Warakurna is arguably the second of the Blackfella, Whitefella type songs on the album. 
Yeah. It's a Jim only song, only credited to Jim. Yeah, if if there is a connecting theme, it's um, it's along the lines of like uh, all the things that can kill the way Reagan, if it if it was about Reagan or Thatcher yeah. or whatever, yeah. and if Australia is following along that line, yeah. going along with those kind mm. of policy decisions sure. or imitating them in their own culture, yep. uh, while War Current is very much about. Um, let's sh- there's there is enough for everybody yeah let's share like the yeah. the poor the marginalized um you know are are the aboriginal people we can do better than this we right. don't have to so maybe if there is a connection if there is it's a connection, like another it's like the other side of the coin type connection that's, that's what i would say yeah okay if there if there is if yeah. we're looking for a, yeah and and you know we try to do that from time to time once in a while yeah, that makes it interesting to listen to the album and try to try to do those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. So War Kerna is definitely a contender for my favorite drum song. I don't know that I decided on one, but neat time signatures to start out the song. Um, oh, oh. I think it's I think it's seven four that it's starting with. I knew that it was something odd, and as I was trying to count things out, I was thinking, is it a six four followed by two four fours? And I added it up and I said, oh, that's 14. You could divide that too. And it just could be a 7-4. And yeah, like the beat drops on the 7 both times. So I think it's a 7-4 song. Yeah. At least the intro is. And I think we get a little bit of 6-4 in the choruses as well. So it drops into the six four there for a little while. Yeah, yeah. That's so that's cool. But I don't not, think I noticed. Yeah. Well, and you wouldn't have to. I don't have to. I'm just, just the keep bass playing quarters. Yeah. So as far as interesting time signatures go, uh, Warkern has got that going for it. Yeah, and you're saying this is the Jim song. Yeah, this is so the Jim song. So we leave that to Jim to do that kind of thing. Um. Well. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. Like, is this the Jim song lyrically, and then the band comes in and, and does their thing as well? Um, is Jim dictating to Rob? Okay, Rob, this is, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe this is something that Rob's brought in. See, I always assumed that, you know, weird time signatures would have something to do with Rob, but maybe not. I don't know. He has to play them. He's got to play them. But maybe he's not bringing them to the song. Yeah, yeah, well, I he, don't know. If he's the one wanting wanting the songs to sound like a a truck chugging along the, yeah. the corrugated road, yeah, that's not really a seven four kind of thing. No, that's true. But just because he was, that's what he was thinking about doing for the album doesn't mean that he wouldn't be saying, "Hey, you know what? It might be fun to do something a little bit different on one song." Yeah, yeah. Who know? I don't know who. It could be Jim's. It could be Rob's. But yeah, it's 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 some fun rhythm happening. Beyond that, it, it really just relies on that snare to keep the beat the whole song through. So there's your um, gun barrel highway smacking along, keeping it steady the whole way yeah. through. Yeah, so one, I say that Warcrin is my favorite drum song, but I, I do enjoy some drums uh, quite a bit coming up later on in the album mm, as well. Okay. Yeah. So it's interesting. This is a song where the band is singing the verses. 
the band? Yeah. No? Oh, the, the, sorry. I just noticed I had one more note about drums okay. for this song. Okay. Um, just a really nice dry tom accent. Would you call that dry? They're like thunderous. We get real thunder happening later on in the album. And yeah, this this is the tom coming down and, and doing its it's it's not a solo or anything like that. Yeah. Just it's it's laying a little bit of beats down there. Yeah. But it, it's I think this the the timbre of the sound yeah. to me is is dry. Oh. Um like yeah, I would say dry. I say dry. It's dry. Yeah. Are you saying like there's like a bit of a process that you can hear over yeah, that as well? When, yeah, well, totally. Yeah, I, I, because I'm mixing music a lot now. Um, when I think of dry, I think lack of reverb. And okay. And so when I hear and that to me is like big thunderous mm. uh, and probably sure. echoey, reverby. Yeah, uh, dry as opposed so you to don't processed. Mean that kind of, yeah. 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 Okay. I'm thinking like the natural sound of the drum. Yeah. Yeah. And those are those distinct like going back to 1098 where there'd be this single yep. you know rob yep. hits the drum here yeah and we're like oh yeah i remember that That's part right. this is a distinctive yeah. and we were talking about like i think in 1098 had a single snare hit and, and red then, sails had like a double snare hit yeah. and this one is more of a rhythmic well, thing he's doing there but yeah it's like this is like a drum signature in the song and it happens here yeah. and that's it but if it wasn't there you'd be missing it yeah favorite drums Good choice. So yeah, this this is a song uh, where the band is singing the verses, and then Pete responds. So yeah, like the band is together singing "There Is Enough." Yep. And then they say it again, and then Pete, Pete responds, responds. Yeah, with uh, "For Every," you know, yeah. "There's Enough for Everyone." Yeah. Uh, and then starts naming these places where there is enough. There's enough land. Yep. There's enough resources. Yep. Uh, we can share. We don't have to be greedy. Mm-hmm. We don't have to. Yeah. From the from the point, like, is this a a global point of view? Do you think he's making like a declarative statement of truth in general, or do you think this is coming from like perhaps an Aboriginal point of view, yeah, like, like in their culture? The the examples are so Australian. Mm-hmm. Like they they may believe it as a, a universal principle, right? But I think they're really narrowing in on the. The Aboriginal yeah. experience here. Yeah. yeah. Another line I've always liked that's always stuck out is this is not the Buckingham Palace. Yes, and I and, remember the story too. So yeah, enjoy and, telling and, it. And, and part of the reason that's so memorable is, you know, in the late 80s, suddenly my favorite band, Midnight Oil, became popular. I could see them on TV all the time. They're doing much music unplugged. Video and, dance parties. Video at dance school. parties. That's right. So they did a live performance, and actually, I, should, I wish I could find it. Was it a much music performance, or was it the MTV performance? Well, I think it was MTV, or maybe it was even, were they on Saturday Night Live, or were they on oh, yeah, yeah. some kind of mainstream? That might have not been until, uh, maybe they were, eh? Yeah, that, that's what, I, I haven't actually found this footage, yep. but I remember watching it at the time, and basically... I remember being at Ron's house. After it happened, and all three of us talking about this. Okay, yeah. So if even Ron watched it, Ron didn't even have cables. So how, or unless, did I bring over a video? Maybe. Maybe I made a yeah. video of it, yeah. Uh, so anyway, all, all it is is that <laughs> when Pete sings, this is not the Buckingham Palace, they beeped him out. Yeah. Thinking. <laughs> oh, he just dropped the F-bomb. He, yeah, he's F-bombing on, like, so. 
it's interesting. Is it really nervous about Garrett? Yeah, uh, getting up there and he would no. swear or whatever. Yeah, on American television, you can't yeah. have that. Uh, you know. Yeah, I'm curious if there are Canadians out there <laughs> in particular who know this. Maybe we could at least narrow it down to much music or something. Yeah, like if that. it if it seems only Canadians remember this. Yeah, yeah, this is not the Buckingham <laughs> Palace. <laughs> Uh, you okay. can't say ham. You can't say ham, Auntie. <laughs> uh, right. And here's a bit of a diversion. Speaking about Canada. Yeah. Uh, Diesel and dust is what we breathe. So yep. here's here's the title. Of the album coming out of the lyrics. Efforts, yeah. yeah, is in the lyric. Now, our very own Bruce Coburn, yeah. who is, uh, if I had a rocket launcher, yep. people who like Midnight Oil, lyrically he's a complaint rocker he is a complaint rocker just like midnight oil yeah and he's he's our most famous well apart and the tragically hip yeah the, i would like to listen through a lot of the hip stuff that i haven't listened to i, yeah. I don't peg the hip as complaint rockers i they're more like storytellers to me but i only know like maybe their first three or four albums yeah well yeah, there's uh, i've become much more of a fan of I've I've deliberately become a fan of the Tragically Hip. Yep. Uh, in the last five to ten years, yep. uh, buying their albums and just deliberately listening. Yep. Uh, they are really great, and any Midnight Oil fan should give the Tragically Hip uh, some time because they mm-hmm. are Canada's Midnight Oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm absolutely convinced of it, and maybe maybe someday you and I will sit and listen to some Hip. Records. That'd be a lot of fun. But, but getting back Coburn. on track. Bruce Coburn has a song from 1984 called Dust and Diesel. Oh. Dust and Diesel. And he did it first. So amusingly, he has a line in it, a 45 strapped over. Uh, Now this is, he's talking about a gun. Yeah. But with the heavy emphasis on 45 degrees and beds are burning, that's just a little coincidence. He's talking about 45s. And here's another line from Dustin Diesel. Pride and passion and love and fear, burning hearts, burning boats of the past. So how many oils yeah. words did you hear there Yeah, about passion and burning things? So it's just kind of amusing that um, there's this, this whole other Dustin Diesel thing. Yep. And... Would you believe that it, it took until the last two weeks for me to clue in to actually understand that line, diesel and dust is what we breathe? Okay. Um, up until this point, I think I was just kind of taking it on the lines of, you know, way out here in in the western desert, there's a lot of dust around. And so we breathe that in and we got these diesel trucks driving around. And we're breathing in the, in the diesel fumes and stuff like that. But there are problems um, in... Ah. Canadian uh, reserves, yeah. uh, native reserves with uh, children sniffing gasoline. The same thing is going on in the outback, in, in these outstations and these settlements with the kids not having yeah. anything to do. Substance and abuse. Substance abuse. Wandering around with bowls of gasoline, a diesel, sniffing it, those fumes just keeping you high all the day long. I never made that connection until like this last week. I was just yeah. thinking, oh yeah, it's just something that's kind of walking around in the air the trucks yeah, passing I guess by I didn't stuff think like of that, that. Are, are you certain that oh that yeah like ref- yeah like from from reading strict rules that's that's what it's that's about that's what it's about oh it definitely yeah, is man, 
I didn't put a check mark beside War Kerna saying that it was a candidate for my favorite song, but talking about it now and listening to it. Yeah, it's, it's a candidate for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's a runner for me too. Yeah. Okay. Side two. Finally. Finally. Side one is done. Side two, The Dead Heart. Not even written for Diesel and Dust. Yeah, so written before this whole album, yeah, you were saying, and right. we, we were asking, uh, I was wondering if the mix was the same. So right away, there's this huge, this is a, a big bass tone yeah. to this song, and this is basically the same kind of tone that Beds Are Burning has, and the song is getting driven in the same way, that kind of propulsive uh, eighth note bass line. Sure. Um the snare hitting and, on the two and the four, just keeping it straight ahead. That's right. Going so well. again, it's bass and drums driving yep. this song, just like. So it's interesting that side two starts very similar to side one mm-hmm. uh, in in that way. Now this song is in B minor. Okay. But they do something. That, there's the doo doo doos. Yeah. The, this is the doo doo song. This is the doo doo song. It's interesting how this has become such a theme when they do it live. Oh yeah. How they are now trying. It's like. They're disguising it, right? They're doing yeah. weird alternate intros for this song. Just to see if we can actually get through a little bit of an intro before the crowd takes yeah, over. Yeah, they're trying not to get away with the doo-doos. But in Toronto, yep. they picked up on it too quick. And they needed like band meeting. We talked about this. We but, did, yep. But yeah, they, they need to gather around. Okay, Rob, solve this. And good drummers are problem solvers. They are. They and are. Rob... Let's Rob, get going. Rob's a good drummer. Here we go. And a good problem solver. He solved it. But what a great song like to sing along with. Yeah, it's a great song. I think this might be my favorite song from the album. Mm. I oh, I'm not sure. I might flip flop a little bit yeah. later on, but right now I'm thinking, oh, Dead Heart is such a great song. Yeah. So they're in B minor for the doo doo doos. And we're talking about how a minor He said doo doo. For the doo doo. Um and oh look at i even have that highlighted in a minor key question mark yes well okay this is the thing they're doing the do-do-do's and whenever you sing the third note of the scale in a minor scale you're you're playing as we remember from last episode yeah we gave you this lesson already okay but here i'm in b okay so that's that's a minor b okay scale the first right and okay. isn't that way everybody's saying with the doo-doo-doos? Then, suddenly the doo-doos switch to B they major. They do, yes. B major, and then they're going... Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so it goes up to the four, and then plays a major third. Yeah. While before it was... Okay, anyway, too so much what, of that. what you'll hear if you're not like a, a musician, or if you don't... Even if you do strum along on the guitar and you, and you don't know exactly what Robin's Wait, going on there, you notice even that Robin doesn't know exactly what's going on there. I can't say <laughs> it. But heard, you're but. noticing that, like the feel of the song changes and it gets even brighter and happier, yeah. and it's it's changing from the yeah, minor to the major. Whether it's more exciting here. or happier or whatever you want to call it, uh, suddenly they're in B major for that part. Yeah, and then for the verses, it goes back to this idea where you don't know if it's major or minor because they're avoiding the third mostly. Okay. But then the response from the band... Wait. Seeing as we're talking about... You know, go ahead, talk. 
Yeah. Never mind. Okay. I bought a beer. Oh yeah. This week for the podcast, and I'm not drinking it. What's Should I go with get you? it? Okay, hang We're on. We get all giggly at the end, eh? We're on side two. We're on side two. And come back with my my midnight oil beer. And Joy is part two for the actual music. Gentle listener, you've been with us for quite some time right now, and we are going to stop our discussion of blue sky mining. Diesel and dust. (laughs) (laughs) What are we? Who are we? What's going on? You've made it to the halfway point of our discussion of diesel and dust, and we're going to call it quits right now. But we'll be back with part two soon on Comfortable Place on the Couch, a Midnight Oil podcast. Check out the show notes at darrenfolds.com slash podcasts. Visit us on the Twitter, Darren the Folds and Robin Harbin. Stick ats in front of it and you'll find us. So for Robin Harbin, I'm Darren Folds. Good night. Good night. Good night.